Okay, let's talk about heaven. How many of you really, no kidding, believe there is a heaven? Oh, okay, well, you're dismissed. Uh, <laughs> I already won. Uh, how many of you really, no kidding, think you're probably going there? Almost as many, that's good news right there. How many of you really, no kidding, are pretty sure of exactly what it's like there? <laughs> yeah, me neither. Uh, so we did a poll on uh, social media this week and we just asked, what are your questions? If you get, well, what are your questions about heaven? And I didn't know if anybody would respond, but man, we got lots of really, I kind of quit trying to answer them. There were just so many great, really hard questions. And of course, we know that the Bible intentionally leaves unanswered questions. We've been talking about this for months, that there are gaps in the Bible. And as we've discussed, part of that is to create the questions to encourage us to dig and research and think and talk about what the potential answers might be. And that's part of what it means when the Bible says that we should meditate on the word day and night. We're not gonna answer everything today. And you know why? Because I don't know all the answers. But that's, that's okay. We're supposed to wrestle with the stuff we don't understand. We're supposed to wonder and discuss and think and meditate on this stuff every day for the rest of our lives. And so I can tell you this, um, heaven is so amazing, whatever it looks like, whatever realm, whatever dimensions, you know, whatever level we're gonna look at it, heaven is so amazing that Jesus was willing to be tortured to death so that you could experience it. So I think we all have like ideas and pictures in our head about what heaven is like. And some of our pictures are probably from the Bible and some of them are probably from books or movies or Renaissance art or <laughs> Greek mythology or I don't know what. I know some of them come from the Hallmark Card Company because that chubby little angel baby, what is it for Valentine's Day, what, what's his name? Cupid sells a lot of cards. So um, the Bible's not really super clear about heaven, um, but today I'm just gonna talk a little bit about some ideas that I think are biblical about what it might be like. Um, so just to get started, a uh, couple of things real quick. Number one, when we get there to heaven, a lot of the stuff that we're really concerned about right now, we are not gonna be concerned about. A lot of the arguments that we've been having, a lot of the you know, questions we have about heaven are gonna seem a lot less important when you see Jesus. And so somebody asked this week, how old will we be in heaven? It's like, man, that is such a good question. This isn't like driving me crazy all week. How old was Adam when he was created? Is that the perfect age? I don't know. I don't know, that's a good question, and I'm probably not gonna care when I see Jesus. I've been wondering if we have to shave in heaven. You know, I don't know what the toilet situation is, and we're all talking about pets, and, uh, and that stuff's important, but I think it's gonna be less important when we stack that up next to the face of Jesus. And then the second thing is, I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm pretty sure what it's not. And it's not all of us dressed only in wings and diapers, you know, floating around on clouds and playing the harp all day. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not that. And then the last thing is, I think a lot of what we've even actually taken from the Bible about like these physical descriptions of heaven, like gold streets and pearly gates and rubies on the walls and all that kind of stuff, don't get mad at me. I think a lot of that might be partly metaphorical. So sorry about that. Uh, but don't despair. It's not that it's worse than that. 
It's not that it's less than that. In fact, just the opposite of that. I think when John was writing the revelation of this vision that he saw, I think what he saw was so perfect and so beautiful and so unattainable and so unimaginable to him that he was just trying to think of the closest thing he could come. to. This. I mean, Gold Streets, yeah, that would be cool. right? It's just so amazing. He didn't have the real words that we could really understand to describe it. And so he used pearls and diamonds and rubies and gold to try to describe it. I don't know exactly what it's gonna be like, I can only imagine, as the song says. Um, But I can tell you this, it will be a lot different than the world that we live in now, because this world is jacked up. I mean, kids are abused here, and addiction is destroying lives here, and disease and death just run rampant here. Human beings are bought and sold like property here and hate and anger and violence and division is everywhere. You know, there are, world, there are world leaders who are willing to kill innocent people. For what? Right? To move a dotted line on a map, right? So they can have a tiny bit more powerful. This world is a mess. And that's what we talked about last week, right? We talked about exile. This is why we're uncomfortable here. This is why we're dissatisfied here. This is why we're discontent here. This is why we're anxious and out of place and uncomfortable here. It's because we don't belong here. We were, we were created for a different place than this. We are created for a world that offers peace and purpose and love and unity with each other and communion with God and everything that we need and everything that we want. Um, C.S. Lewis had a great quote. He said, you know, we were created for needs for which there are satisfactions. So like a duck wants to swim, luckily there's such a thing as water, right? We're hungry, luckily there's a thing, food. We want sex, luckily sex exists. But here's this quote. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And we're having these desires and these cravings and these yearnings and what we're, what we're wanting, what we're craving is to go back home. To go where this thing started to go back to the perfect, uncontaminated world that God created for us, God's perfect place, where God's people enjoy God's blessing and live under God's rule in his presence. It's the Garden of Eden. It's the kingdom of God. It's, it's heaven, and it's our destiny to be there, we were, we were created for that world, and that world was created for us. That's where we'll feel safe. That's where we'll feel at home. That's where we'll feel comfortable and loved and at ease and content. That's where we'll really thrive. That's where we'll really flourish. That, that's our ultimate home, because just like a polar bear, your heart was created to thrive in only one habitat. And whether you know it or not, whether any of us understand it or not, we crave that habitat. We, we, we want home. It's wired into us. It's, it's what we were created for, and this world ain't it. And so this is why we constantly see people trying to get there from here, 
right? Maybe I'll feel safe. Maybe I'll feel at home. Maybe I'll feel confident and comfortable and at ease and loved and at peace if I can just make enough money, if I can just lose enough weight, if I can do enough good things, if I can be popular enough, if I could get a little more power, if I could get that promotion, if I could marry that girl or if I could buy one more gun. I'm looking at you, Richard Britz. If I could just, if I could just, if I could fix the problems of the world, I could finally feel peace, you know? I could finally be at home, but the truth is, in this world, we're, we're always gonna have trouble. We're, we're always gonna feel out of place here, because we are. Because this world is not what we were created for. We were created for something better. And I think we're wired to know that. And that's why there's this weird thing in us that keeps looking for that perfection in this world. For some reason, we keep thinking it's gonna happen. We keep expecting it to happen. And that's why we're so disappointed when it doesn't. And that's why the news is so upsetting to us. And that's why pain hurts so much. And that's why disappointment is just so disappointing. It's because this world is not living up to our expectations because somehow in us, inside of us, is this dream, this hope of this perfect place, this home that we were created for. It's, it's paradise, it's Eden, it's the kingdom of God, it's, it's heaven. Blaise Pascal was a 17th century French philosopher. This is a really haunting, profound quote. Listen to what he said. There was once a happiness belonging to the human race. Remember how we talked about Adam, right? There was once a happiness belonging to the human race. And in our hearts, we only find now the faintest traces that remain. I think he's right. I think we experience these little traces of paradise, these little traces of Eden, these little glimpses of heaven. We, we have glimpses, don't we, in our dreams? When we experience real love, when we see profound beauty, it, it like triggers something in us that we know is missing that we know is right, and it's a glimpse of the world that God created for us. It's a world that God created us for. And we have these like little tastes, little glimpses of it. I've had people ask me, like they, maybe they grew up in a different church tradition and now they've come to church here, and they'll ask the question, like something has happened to me during worship, and I don't know what it is, but like I'm crying. Why am I crying? I'm not sad, I feel great. What, what is, what, what's happening to me? You know what it is? I think it's a glimpse. I think it's a glimpse. Have you ever been like moved when you saw a baby born or you saw a beautiful sunrise? I think that's a glimpse. Have you ever heard a story or maybe you've seen somebody act in just pure love, sacrificial love, and you hear that story or you see that thing happen and you're just wrecked? I, I think that's a glimpse. 
Have you ever looked at a painting or read a poem or kissed your spouse or been hugged by somebody that really loves you and just something happens to you? I think that's a glimpse. Have you ever seen a baby just freaking out? They're frustrated, they're hurting, they're mad, they're scared, and nothing can calm them down, and then their mom picks them up and sings to them. The circumstances don't change, but somehow this complete, amazing, beautiful peace just comes over them. I think that's a glimpse. And we experience these glimpses when we experience real peace, or when we experience real love, or when we experience profound beauty or like in creation. Have you ever noticed how many people say, I just really feel close to God in the woods. I just really feel close to God at the seashore. I just really feel close to God on the mountaintop. I think that's a glimpse. I think something in us is somehow remembering like a tiny piece of the perfection of Eden that we were created for and, and, and that we lost when sin came into the world and when hate and pride and violence and death came in, Eden was lost and the beauty of creation and the love and the presence of God and the perfection of this world was crowded out by sin and pride and shame and hate and violence and death. And now the only connection we have left with what was good and pure and right and perfect are these glimpses And in between these glimpses, everything just seems sad and hard and dark and hopeless. But there is great hope in something that Jesus said. And this is Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it goes on to describe our reward in heaven. But I'm not really talking about our hope in that reward. I'm talking about the hope that is kind of hidden in what he said. He said, when the world is made new. Now, depending on what Bible version you have, yours might say, might talk about regeneration or rebirth or recreation. Mine says when the world is made new. And it's a translation of a Greek word, palingenesia. Let me hear you say palingenesia. Very good. So palin means again, and genesia, think of the word genesis, means beginning. Palingenesia is the idea of beginning again. It's a new beginning, it's a regeneration. It's the world reborn and made new. And maybe heaven is not so much about us flying away to this cloudy place where everybody has wings and the streets are gold, although that's beautiful. But maybe Palangenesia is about Jesus making everything new again. Maybe it's about Jesus restoring the perfect world that he created for us in the beginning. And all through the Bible we see these predictions, these prophecies of what it's gonna look like. Isaiah, lots of stuff in Isaiah, here's a couple. Isaiah 51 says, their sorrow and mourning will disappear and you will be filled with joy and gladness. Isaiah 60 says, violence will disappear from your land. The desolation and destruction of war will end. Salvation will surround you like city walls and praise will be on the lips of everyone there. Your days of mourning will come to an end. 
Isaiah 65 says, look, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth, and nobody's even going to think about the old ones anymore. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. People will live in the houses they built and eat the fruit of their vineyards, and unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune because they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children, too, will be blessed. And I will answer, look at this, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they're still talking about their needs, I'll go ahead and answer their prayers. And the wolf and the lamb will feed together, and in those those days, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. He's describing a place where we live and not just float, right? Not just hover, where we, we, we live and we eat and we drink and we work and we play and we plant vineyards and build houses and there are animals there and even the animals live in complete peace. Nobody will experience pain there. It's, it's our world, but it's new. It's, it's regenerated, it's reborn. And this idea is not just in the Old Testament. God's kingdom is mentioned hundreds of times in the New Testament. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom. And what's really weird is the way he talks about it because he describes it as being already here and also as being coming. So it's like, it's here, but it's not yet here. It's here, but it's not yet here. It's like we have some experiences of heaven but they're just, they're just glimpses. And that's why Jesus said that we should pray for God's kingdom to fully come. And John sees a vision of that in Revelation 21.1. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So this doesn't seem to be so much about us floating up to this place above the clouds. John's talking about the new Jerusalem, this holy place, God's kingdom coming down from heaven, the paradise the holy city of God, the kingdom of God is coming here. It's our world, our heaven and earth, but renewed and regenerated, palingenesied. And I like this, because if I'm honest, I thought lots of times, you know, I'm sure heaven's gonna be great, but there's some stuff here that's great too, you know, like holding your baby and smelling the rain and watching the sunrise and eating a really good steak, right? My mother's love, you know, Margaret's laugh, my grandkids on my shoulders. The satisfaction of doing a good job. You know, I don't wanna just play the harp all day, right? I I love my job. I love to work. I have a lot of things in this world that I love and I I I don't wanna give them up. And I've always thought that like we'd have to leave all the good stuff behind as we fly away to heaven and hope it's better there. But now I think we don't give any good thing up and we don't leave behind any good thing because God is bringing perfection back to us and he's recreating 
our world and redeeming and renewing everything. That's palingenesia. And all the fire that we read about in Revelation, it doesn't consume our world. It refines it. It, it purifies it. And everything about this world that's good is, is gonna be better. It's gonna be recreated, it's gonna be renewed, it's gonna be better than ever. Uh, John Eldridge wrote a great book about heaven. He, was, he said this to me, he's like, I never thought of this. He said, Jesus doesn't say he's making all new things. He said he's making all things new. He's not making all new things. He's making everything new. Here's some more of John's description of his vision. This is Revelation 21.3. I heard a loud voice shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things, death, sorrow, crying, pain, all these things are gone forever. Can you even imagine that everything that hurts you and everything that scares you and everything that frustrates you just suddenly doesn't exist anymore? Verse five, and the one sitting on the throne, who's that? That's Jesus. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. That's palingenesia, man, that's rebirth, that's renewal, that's regeneration of everything. It's recreation. And everything is purified. And everything is made new. This is Romans 8.20. Romans 8.20 says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. The world has been groaning. All creation has been waiting for this recreation ever since Adam and Eve were first exiled from the garden. And once it comes, everything, will be renewed, everything will be redeemed, everything will be regenerated and refreshed and recreated. So there's no pollution, just like in the Garden of Eden. And everything in nature is beautiful and perfect, just like the Garden of Eden. And there's no sin or pride or hate or death or decay, just like in the Garden of Eden. How you guys doing? Doing okay? Take a deep breath. We're gonna take on a difficult concept now. Wrap our heads around this part. It's not just that no new evil will be done. It's more than that. Everything hurtful or ugly or sad from the past will be undone. Because everything's made new. So, Bad stuff will not have happened anymore. Evil will somehow be reversed. There's a great line in the book, The Return of the King. I know you guys are too Christian to read that book, but uh, in this book, the character's name is Sam, and they've been in this horrible battle. He thinks everything is lost and everybody's dead, and he finds his friend, and his friend is alive. 
And he says, oh, I thought, I thought you were, I, thought, I can't believe you're alive. I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead. And listen to this line. He says, will everything sad come untrue? And it will when Jesus makes the world new again. Because when the world was new, there wasn't any sad. When the world was new, sin hadn't happened, right? Death didn't exist. Evil and pain and shame weren't a thing yet. So when Jesus makes all things new again, everything sad, everything hard, everything shameful, everything scary will somehow be undone. And that game you lost, or that job you lost, or that person you lost, or that hope you lost, will never have been lost at all. So you won't have any scars on your hands or on your heart because whatever pain caused those scars will have never happened because the world is back to what it was before, before sin, before death, before pain, before decay. This word, palingenesia, man, it's, that's an awesome word, right? And I'll tell you another great place that it comes up is in Titus 3.5. Look how it's translated here. See if you notice, palingenesia, it's making everything new, right? See if you see how it's translated. This is New Living Translation, Titus 3.5. He saved us not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. So it's not just the world that's renewed and redeemed and refreshed and reborn, it's us. We will experience palingenesia. We will be made new. And any hurt or damage that you've ever experienced, or any hurt or damage that you've ever caused will be undone. You ever had that feeling like, man, if I could just have that moment back, when I did that thing, or when I said that thing, if I could just have it back, and you will, when the world is made new. And we've had a little foretaste of this because we've been reborn of the Spirit, right? So we are regenerated, we are recreated, we're born again, we've been palingenesied, and our perfection, our perfection, is just like God's kingdom, right? It's here and not yet here. Our perfection is here and not yet here because now God sees us as pure and righteous and holy and on the inside we are but we still struggle with sin on the outside in our bodies, right? And we still live with the earthly consequences of sin. So remember what that passage in Romans said about how earth is groaning and waiting for this regeneration, this recreation, this redemption of everything. All creation includes us. In fact, look what verse 23 says. This is Romans 8, 23. We believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, and we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We, we will be palingenesiaed. We will be recreated and renewed, and every bad decision or sinful action or harmful word will be redeemed. 
and every, every ugly thing that we've ever done or said or thought will be undone. And every hurt that we've ever experienced and every hurt that we've ever caused will never have happened. Everything sad will come untrue. Oh, and here's a bonus. What's this about new bodies? Right, come on, old people. Oh yeah. I mean, it'll still be you, but it'll be with this new creation body. 1 Corinthians 15 says our bodies will be transformed from corruptible, mortal, breakable, dying bodies to bodies that are perfect and incorruptible and death-proof, and mine's gonna be about 20 pounds lighter and a lot less hairy, and that is gonna be awesome. Uh, But just, I mean, so like, imagine no more pain, no more tears, no more sadness, no more worry or fear about what might happen, and no regrets, because everything bad that's already happened that's hurt you or that you've used to hurt other people will be undone. Everything we love perfectly recreated. So that's a glimpse of the world made new by Jesus. Glimpses are fun, right? It's a fun day, right? We're talking about hell next week. Lap it up, man. Uh, So let's have some more. Um, let's, Let's remember some of the glimpses you've already had. Your baby's first steps. That first kiss. That great reunion with people that you've been missing. That great accomplishment that you felt so proud of. That feeling of home. A meal with your family. A beautiful sunset on the ocean. That moment she said yes. The hug that you never wanted to end. The best meal ever. The best day ever. The best moment ever. That time you felt completely comfortable and safe and loved and secure and welcome and home. Can you see it? Those are just traces of Eden in the past when the world was new. Those are just glimpses of heaven when Jesus makes all things new again. And best of all, just like in the garden, we'll be in the presence of God. Like Adam and Eve, we'll fully experience God's love. There'll be nothing between us, no doubt, no sin, no fear, no shame. We'll walk with him, talk with him, We'll feel his love completely. We'll we'll know God. We'll know God. We'll see his face. And in that place and in that moment, you'll realize that Jesus made it all possible. That he created the perfect world in the first place. And then sin and man messed it up. And now he's recreated it. And he's redeemed it. And he's made all things new. And even as we eat and drink and work and rest and laugh, we will be compelled to worship him. We will be compelled to sing holy, holy, holy. And not just alone. And not just with other people. 
with all creation because the waiting and groaning is over now and we're experiencing the eternal life that God has always intended. His perfect people in his perfect place under his perfect rule enjoying his perfect blessing in his perfect presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these glimpses. Thank you for these moments when we get just a little taste of what Eden was, just a little faint memory, just a little glimpse of what heaven will be like, these times when we, when we enjoy our family or we sense you in worship or we see true beauty or we experience creation or we see really profound love. Thank you for these glimpses, man. They keep us going. They give us hope. And God, right now we thank you so much for the hope that we have for the world that is to come, for heaven, for, for Eden, for this regenerated, perfect world that you created us specifically for and that you created specifically for us, a place where we can laugh and work and play and enjoy each other and eat and drink and experience you for real to really be in your presence with nothing between us. And God, we thank you for Jesus because he's the one that makes it possible for us to be there. We thank you for Jesus because since 700 years before he came to earth, Isaiah prophesied that someday all of creation would be together singing holy, 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 and in the Revelation, we see that at the very end, when it's all over, we're all together singing holy, holy, holy. God, will you just remind us every day to give thanks to Jesus, to worship him for the world he created and for the world he's bringing back. In his name, amen. If you're not sure that you're going there, we should take care of that today, right? This is, this is too good to pass up. You know, every religion in history has heaven in some way, right? This eternal reward or something. The thing that differentiates Christianity is it's not about you earning it. It's not about you doing so many great things or so few bad things that somehow you qualify for heaven. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. It's about you just accepting that. And man, if you've not done that, let's just, let's just do it today and not wonder anymore and not worry anymore. If God's mad at you or if you've made one mistake too many, you never have to worry about that again. You never have to think about that again. It's just a matter of you accepting the free gift of salvation. And if you don't know what that means, if you don't know how to do it, man, find me after church today. I'll be walking around. Believe me, I've got nothing better to do than to talk to you about how you can be sure you're going to heaven. Go back right now. The people back in the prayer corner would love nothing better than to sign the paperwork with you, man, and really get you introduced to Jesus where you can know for sure. Uh, just real quick before you go, you know, our calling as believers, the great commission, Jesus said, was for us to make disciples, to go into the world. And our calling is to not just get there, but to see how many people we can drag with us 
into heaven, amen? And so look, this is why we do the crazy Easter thing, right? This is, this is fun for us, but that's not the reason we're doing it. The reason we're doing this big crazy Easter thing is we wanna invite as many people as we can to know Jesus so that we can invite as many people as we can to come to heaven with us. And so I really wanna encourage you, we, man, we are going to a lot of trouble and spending a lot of money because we want Easter to be amazing and you've got a part to play in that. Okay, we're gonna have radio ads on K-Love. We're gonna have banners and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But the best way we can get people to come and experience Jesus and know that they'll spend forever in heaven is if you do something, right? Do something and invite someone to church. Please don't invite someone from another church just because we have better worship team and a better pastor. I mean, that's no reason. Um, Invite somebody that doesn't go to church. Invite somebody that doesn't know Jesus. I read a poll that said 80% of unchurched people said they would go to church if someone would invite them. 80% would go if somebody would just invite them. So we wanna make inviting them easy. I'm gonna ask you to do a little homework. Think in your mind of three or four or five people that you haven't seen in church. Better yet, people that you know don't go to church. But maybe it's just somebody you haven't seen in a long time. And make it your business over the next couple of weeks to invite them to come to church. And you don't have to say, look, you haven't been in church and you're in trouble or something like that, right? We've been noticing you haven't been there. Um, But just just say, you know what, I haven't seen you. I'd love it if you would come on Easter Sunday. Maybe it's somebody that's just been doing online, which is great, but maybe it'd be cool for them to come out and have that experience. Or maybe it's somebody that hasn't been to church at all in a long time. Maybe it's somebody that doesn't go to church at all, but invite somebody to church. So to help you with that, back in the Connection Center, we've got these little cards right here that you can pass out or give to people or something like that. And if you've got some place, a restaurant or where you work or something that you could put up a poster, we got some posters back there. If you can actually use it and put it someplace where it would get some visibility and some people would see it, we would love to have you invite some people. Man, let's invite some people to heaven on Easter Sunday. Amen? Amen. Amen. Did you guys have fun today? Okay, well, I hope you did because next week's about hell. (laughs) So, uh, invite a friend. That would be awesome. Okay, God bless you guys. Have a great week.